Well, perhaps we'll finish the chapter this morning, or close to it. We could, of course, spend several sermons on each verse. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll go on a more uh, a brisk walk through the scriptures, I trust. Paul writes in, um, in a very building style. And sometimes he, he diverts because he's got so much going on in the capacity that God gave him that he'll go from one thing to another and quite often he won't quite finish what he's writing about and he's on to the next one. And sometimes there's a diversion. Something leads to it and he comes back. Uh, John is different. John tends to deal with all of his themes all at once and then repeat them. A bit like a weaver. So Paul's like a builder, block upon block, or, um, or stick framing and scaffolding and timbers together. Paul, uh, John is like a, an embroiderer and a weaver. And he's a warp this way and the wolf that way. And, and then you have the whole fabric together. Um, and you can see it, the, the continual repetition in his uh, epistle. Uh, so, uh, Paul, when he, uh, he writes, wherefore, right? We finished last, um, last time on verse 12 about the Lord Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Access. Romans, Paul brings that out. Uh, repeatedly, uh, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the glory of God. We have access to God through the Lord Jesus. When Sean was preaching, he said, all of the riches, everything God owns, is yours if you're a child of God. And we have access to all of that through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And then he says, wherefore... I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. That's a bit, if you think about it, it can be a little puzzling. What's he meaning? Wherefore? In light of everything we've already said. All right? And he has said several things or written several things. In chapter, in verse 1, he says, for this cause. Right? So it's it's building upon other things. So for this cause, in verse 1, has to do with what's gone before. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and he takes a bit of a diversion. For this cause, um, if you have heard of the dispensation, how that by revelation, whereby when you read you may understand my um, knowledge or my understanding in the mystery of Christ, and then he tells you about it, that the Gentiles, and unto me who am less than the least of all saints, and, and his purpose to make all men see, and, and so on. Verse 13 Wherefore, he's picking up what he started the chapter with. He's had a bit of a diversion. Uh, for this cause, I, Paul, <laughs> and then, you know, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ, if you've heard, and, <laughs> right? And he goes off, he, he, um, he expounds a bit on the subject, and he picks it up again in, in verse 13. As I was saying, <laughs> because of this, and because of what? Because... Uh, chapter 2 verse 22 because you are the building of God you're building together for a dwelling place a habitation of God through the spirit Uh, because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit you've been redeemed the eyes of your enlightened chapter 1 the eyes of your understanding have been enlightened so that you might know the hope of his calling and the exceeding greatness of his power to usward because you have been quickened together, chapter 2, verse 5, and saved by grace, raised together, seated in the heavenly places, because in the ages to come, chapter 2, verse 7, he's going to show you the exceeding riches of his grace. Because of this, because this is all yours, I desire that you don't faint. Look at what's your. I don't want you to quit to give it up. He wrote this whole epistle to the, uh, to the Hebrews. Now some dispute that and I don't want to get in that. So when I'm, when I'm referring to the epistle to the Hebrews, I'm just going with what it says in the heading. The epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews. And, um, 
we can have a nice discussion over that in a, over a cup of tea if you want sometime, but that's, that's where I'm at with it. Accept that. He writes to the Hebrews the same thing, right? We desire that every one of you do so, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Saying, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to faint. Because of all that's yours in Christ. I want you to be alive and going after it. He would write to the Philippians, this one thing I do, I press toward the mark. Not, you know, I'm just kind of plotting along. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I so, you know, I so run that I might obtain. That I might finish my course with joy. This was Paul. He was a motivated man. He was a fiery man. Everything in him. Right until his, in his old age. Sorry, brother, you've got a distance to go yet. And you're not creaking as some of us who are grandparents are. So right into his old age, he was running like Usain Bolt was a chump compared to Paul. In how he pursued Christ. That I might finish my course with joy. And he wanted us, the Ephesians there, but all Christians in all ages, to pursue the things of God with the same fervor. I had an old friend. He's long gone to be with the Lord now. Right into his 80s, you didn't want to sit in the front row lest you get hit by fist or spit or something. Because he was such a fire of energy. I remember uh, as a young man, um, pre, uh, before I was 20, so in my a youth. But I was saved and I was seeking the Lord and I had an awful schedule. I had two jobs and I had three or four shifts every week. I had the night shift, I had the date shift, just three, and the early morning shift, right? So I had the midnight to 8.30 shift, I had the 9 a.m. to 6 shift, and I had the 4 a.m. to 12.30 shift. And I had... You know, every week I had all those three shifts going on. So I was kind of tired. I used to have trouble sleeping. I don't now. I just have trouble getting to bed. Although that's improving. And so, you know, I, had the, I remember the 4 a.m. shift. And that was a Wednesday morning. And, and I wanted to get up early and seek the Lord. So I'm going to get up at 2. But of course, you know, midnight I'm still lying there trying to get to sleep because my system's so messed up. And it lasted, I think, one or two weeks, and it gradually got to, you know, I was only 200 meters up the road, uh, leaping out of bed at, uh, because, yikes, you know, quarter to four or something, hauling on whatever I could grab and bursting up the road, or dragging myself out. And I remember him, this man, he was in his 70s, and he said, I leapt out of bed this morning at three o'clock, glory, Jesus! It's a man, and thinking, I staggered out of bed at 3.40 thinking, oh, I hope I can make it to work on time. He was still going with all of his might for Jesus. A fire, I remember him well. David Weatherly. I think if I've known one man on this earth that was truly humble, it would have been David Weatherly. The rest of us are trying with varying degrees of success or failure. <laughs> Be truly humble. I desire that you faint not. Don't quit. At my tribulations for you. And we might puzzle on that. My tribulations for you. And then, which is your glory? What is Paul talking about? Do you ever stop and think about it? You just read, you know. It's, I just I'm like, you're reading. I wonder what that's all about. But anyway, keep reading. And uh, I suppose we've all done that. I certainly have. Let's look at some of those uh, passages, um, shall we? Uh, Paul takes it up. And I'm a bit uh, remiss that we haven't um, expounded more of Colossians as we've gone through Ephesians. But here it is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, uh, or the end of verse 23. I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is a church. That's a good Roman Catholic uh, verse. Um, in Ephesians 3.1, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. I'm in jail because of you guys. That's what he's, he's saying. Um, <clears throat> what's he talking about? And that one in Colossians, if you thought the one in Ephesians was puzzling, fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. 
in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, you know. So Paul's saying he's got to suffer so that we can be saved. Sounds a bit off. Perhaps looking at Paul's life may, may help us. Let's, um, let's look in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, see if we can understand what he's saying. And perhaps this is not uh, critical to our own faith and walk, but except that it's good to understand the Bible. Some things apply to us more than others. Some things, you know, we can learn a bit from, him, from them, but they don't really apply to us. But let's, let's learn together, shall we? Acts chapter 9, verse 16. This is Saul of Tarsus. He's seen Christ in the way. He's praying. And Ananias is, um, is arguing with the Lord about what he's going to do to um, minister to Paul. And the Lord says unto Ananias in chapter 9, verse 15 of the book of Acts, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In Acts chapter 22, we see that. <clears throat> this, was, this was the whole thing with Paul. Verses... Um, Paul is there. Remember, he's been um, pulled in pieces. He was in the temple. So <laughs> he's just born unto trouble. Right? You remember what happened to Paul. He's come to Jerusalem, and he gets a bit of a cool greeting from the apostles there. James says, uh, hey, brother, everyone's heard about you, that you're going off the rails and telling them to forsake Moses. They're all informed of thee. What a thing. It seems that that early church never got to hear from Paul because somebody started a rumor that wasn't true. And so he had to go through with this, looks almost like a political move, to, to kind of prove that it wasn't true. And before that was all sorted out, he's whisked away and imprisoned. Oh. They were all, everyone had the same opinion of Paul and they were all wrong. It's interesting, isn't it? They're all informed of thee. And we've got to turn that around somehow. So they hatched this plan. And while he's in the temple there, you know, some of the Jews saw him and said, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that turns everyone away from this place. And they, they're going to um, pull him in pieces. Um, I think it's Chief Captain Lysias, or Lysias, I don't know. One of my Latin scholars can help me with that name later. Um, you know, gets him and rescues him, carries him. He's born of the soldiers as the mob's clamoring for him. And he puts him on the, on the um, they're going to whip him. And they, I think they put him in chains. They're going to examine him, extract the truth through a bit of torture. And um, Paul speaks to him in Greek and he's amazing. He said, look, let me talk to these people, will you? Allow me. And so he does and he speaks to them in Hebrew. He's, you know, he's up on these steps and quiet, you know, and... Everyone's still clamoring for his, his death and he speaks in Hebrew and then they're quietening down. Oh, he, uh, the holy language, one of the mishpocha, right? One of the families, one of us. And they listen to him and he's telling them about his vision and he sees the Lord and they're listening. And, um, uh, and then he's saying, uh, verse 19, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting to his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And they're all listening. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. They couldn't tolerate the idea that the Gentiles could be saved. They gave him audience unto this word. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's it. Kill him. <laughs> he, was, he was tolerable unto that point. The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. This was the thing with Paul. Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, it meant he was getting an extra dose of suffering. His calling, the dispensation that was given to him of God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I'll show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's not that God had a, you know, a sufferings jar and 
um, Paul's just got to get this much just because. It's because this world is full of sin. It's because men and women are sinners and rebels against God. Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's a rebel against God. And he has garnered the, the um, populations against God. And this man whom God had appointed and enabled and anointed and gifted to preach to the conversion of multitudes of Gentiles was going to evoke the most hostility from Satan and be suffering the most at the hands of men. It wasn't that Paul was getting afflicted with sickness like Job. He was being persecuted by men. Even just at a human level they hated him because he threatened their money. Remember Demetrius, the coppersmith? Sorry, uh, yeah, Demetrius, the silversmith, I think. It was Demetrius, right? Alexander's the coppersmith. Demetrius was the silversmith. The head of the craftsman's guild, as the Greek historian Suetonius uh, mentions. The, the Greek historian Suetonius, his account of that mob at Ephesus aligns so closely with Luke's that when my um, history teacher at university was recounting it, I thought he was coming from the Bible. And uh, I was so startled to discover that the Greek historian had, ha, had knowledge of this, refers to him as a Christian missionary, Paul, and the teacher was astounded to know it was in the Bible. And so we had a chat afterwards about it. <clears throat> our money, our jobs. Paul, um, the economic impact of Paul's preaching stirred up people at a carnal human level. Satan whose kingdom was ever threatened by Paul, stirred up people to attack him. And the Jews, who were jealous at the, the um, popularity of his preaching. Paul suffered great things for the name of the Lord because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And that's what he's, he's saying to them here in, uh, in Ephesians. Here we are. My uh, verse uh, 13. My tribulations for you. Don't be discouraged. Well, why would they faint because of what Paul's suffering? Well, for a few reasons. Paul, in, in, in their mind, was like the greatest. And if that's what's happening, there's several things going on. One, they think, well, you're supposed to be a man of God. And God honors and looks after and prospers his men. So that's a common human thinking. If we didn't have all of this... New Testament teaching, that would be our normal thinking. That someone who's elevated in the kingdom would have a, um, a blessed life. Not be hunted and hated and, and, and cold and shivering and all of those things. And so the fact that he is, is going through all of this could be discouraging. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about this. Another way is that, man, if that's how the best of them are treated, what's going to happen to me? Paul's getting beaten, and he's an apostle. Well, what kind of treatment is God going to let happen to lowly old me? People can be discouraged. If this is what following Christ is going to incur, I don't, I don't think I want this. And this is what was happening with the Hebrews. They, they were worn out. And he tries to remind them, call to remembrance the former days in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great fight of afflictions. I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. This is a, this is a thing of honor for you. That God is so bestowed love and grace upon you. That he even lets his apostles get beaten up for your sakes. Let's, let's look at this uh, some more, shall we? In um, Philippians chapter 3, uh, just to round out here what, uh, what Paul's saying and then, <clears throat> or what Paul's saying about himself and then what he's saying about the, the church. Philippians chapter 3, we quoted this a bit earlier, referred to it. What things were gained, verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, 
the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here we are. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And he says, I press toward the mark. The fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, this is part of it as well. To be conformed to Christ it means suffering. As, as Jesus suffered. Let's see if we can uh, find it in John's uh, gospel while he, the Lord is speaking to the disciples. Uh, in chapter 13, he says in verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So uh, <clears throat> later he tells them, let's see, um, I think it's in chapter uh, 16. No, chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right? If they, if they call the master uh, of the house Beelzebub, how much more? Them of his household. If Paul was going to grow in ministry and be like Christ, effective in his ministry, he was going to partake of Christ's sufferings. So there's several things going on. Um, and this, this will help us with uh, the passage in Colossians as well. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24, to which we alluded. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So there's several things going on there. That which is behind of the afflictions of Christ, it's, it's a, 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 um, a unique way of saying, I want to go on with the Lord. <laughs> I still have much more to become like Christ and therefore much more sufferings. The more we are conformed to Christ, the more we will suffer as Christ did. Our sufferings are not redemptive as Christ's were. Christ's sufferings were for sinners on the cross. But Christ's suffering in ministry, do we realize Christ suffered as a minister? He was rejected by those who were the closest to him. Uh, Paul experienced that a bit with the Corinthians and the Galatians. He had won them to Christ and they became his enemies. He said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. Am I become your enemy now that I tell you the truth? Paul was um, attacked verbally by people to whom he ministered. And that was part of his being conformed to the nature of Christ. The Lord Jesus had it. So much so that the Lord was betrayed by his friend. If it was an enemy that reproached me, I could have borne it, the psalmist says, when he gives us an insight into Christ's suffering. But it was thou. We took sweet counsel together. So we walked together to the house of God. Mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted hath lifted up his heel against me. This was this suffering path of the servant of God. Not the redemptive sufferings on the cross, but the suffering of being faithful to God. Paul experienced this. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Do thy diligence to come unto me, for, you know, Titus has forsaken me, Demas is alone. And so Paul knew that as he would take hold and be conf uh, take, uh, increase in the knowledge of Christ, it would increase in his sufferings. This part of his calling as a minister, as an apostle, and he's saying it is for you, you Gentiles. It's because I'm called to minister to the Gentiles, my sufferings are to this degree. Fill up in my so that's what he's talking about. He's not talking that somehow Christ didn't suffer enough for humanity, and so I, Paul, kind of have to suffer some more. It's a Catholic kind of an idea, isn't it? Completely wrong idea. That which is uh, 
behind of the afflictions of Christ, right? You pair that together with the Philippians and you see how all of these things come together. Paul's saying, if I want to know the Lord Jesus more, and I do, I'm going to have to suffer more. Being made conformable to his death that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Let's look at some more passages there in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. I think... Is that right? Um, Yes. Uh, hmm. Maybe we'll come back to that one. Let's look in 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. What's Paul saying there? See, uh, we're suffering so that, you know, somehow... No, it's not redemptive. The sufferings that the apostles went through were an example of how to endure affliction Um, patiently. Isn't that so? When you've seen someone go through something hard and come through as gold, it motivates you to want to be faithful. And when they're comforted, it's so you can be encouraged. Yeah, God came through for him. God will come through for me. Whatever God puts us through, it's for your sake. This is uh, the thing the apostle is getting at. Let's look at that some more in chapter 4. Verse 5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. In verse uh, 11, for we which live, the apostles he's speaking of in, in particular here, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Right? And verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. And this is the thing that that, I'm wanting to come to. Let's uh, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we had turned initially. Verses 21. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come. All are yours. Romans 8.32, Paul wrote, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In, in, uh, in writing to the Galatians, Paul mentioned, verse chapter 4, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differing, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors, until the time appointed of the Father. And in all of this, the apostle is pointing out that you are the children of God. Remember, you're the Gentiles in in, uh, Ephesians, where we are, chapter 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles, this is the mystery that's being revealed, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. You're partakers. You're children of God. Everything God has for you. Remember what... um, uh, what Eleazar said when he encountered uh, Abram's kindred. And he's come to get a wife for Isaac. My master has a son, and to him he's given all that he has. That's God's heart towards you, his children. All things are yours. Everything. And the apostles, right, tutors and governors... You think, you know, this is to me um, the, the best value of the British uh, monarchy today is it gives us a picture of some Bible truths. <clears throat> you know, the, the uh, King Charles, as he now is, well, he was a prince once. He was a, he was a little boy once. And he was under tutors. He, he would have been taught all kinds of things. And as they grow, they're taught all kinds of things. The best resources in the entire British Commonwealth. To educate him, not just in mathematics and, and language arts and history. And <clears throat> he had to 
But they learn sports, right? Um, polo on horseback. They're taught how to ride all sorts of things. The best trainers in the, in the commonwealth to teach them this and that. So all of the resources of the kingdom are there to develop and teach this young man everything. Academically, athletically, finances, history. Just prepare him to be the ruler in the commonwealth. To be the heir. That's a picture of what God's doing for his church. You Gentiles. Everything's yours. And the apostles are for you, he's saying. And my suffering and all the treatment I go through is necessary so that you can be fed the word of God. That's what he's writing. Don't faint at at the the tribulations I suffer um, for you. And that's for your glory. It's part of God gave Jesus to suffer and die for you. And he gives his apostles to, to minister to you. And whatever he puts them through, it's all for you. That's what he's saying. It's all for you. What a privilege. It should uh, get right down into us. John put it differently when he's talking about how we treat one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is the love that God sent his own son to die for us. And if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God could give all of this for us, we ought to be motivated to go on with him. And even us today, we think, well, Paul, you know, that's distant. Well, everything Paul was put through was for us as well. And even the, the Bible translated, when you think of everything Wycliffe went through and Tyndale, to translate the Bible into English and all of this, so you can sit there with your own copy. The invention, God imbuing that man Gutenberg with the, the, the um, uh, ingenuity to develop his printing press. All of that, you here, sitting here as the royal of royalty. Never mind little Prince Charles when he was a boy, subject to the Queen of England. You're sitting there as little princes and princesses, going to be kings and priests to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. And he gave Wycliffe and Tyndale and the Bible translators and all of that and Gutenberg and everybody for you, so you can have your own copy of the Bible and read it. Hannah was telling me, Fred, my old pastor, commenting to her, you want to hear God speaking to you? Read the Bible. You want to hear him audibly? Read it out loud. He's given his word for you and all of the suffering men not just Paul to go through and to write that. There he's in prison. Paul went into prison as a bit of a respite from the revival, so he'd have time to write this epistle for that church and for this church to have it. And beyond that, he put men to translate it through sufferings and, and persecutions from the Roman Catholic Church and had inventions so that you can have your own copy. Don't you feel special and loved of God? Didn't just give Jesus 2,000 years ago, although that were enough, but all that he has done through history and through his people. For you. Paul took it personally. He said, oh, it was for everybody. Paul said, Jesus Christ loved me. Gave himself for me. Paul was one of his enemies. Paul was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul would have been a young man just itching to get into the fray. It doesn't say so, but the odds are, the probability is that Paul would have been there seething in hatred while Christ put to silence the older Pharisees. He's content to tell us he persecuted the church. I suppose it would be too much to go back and say, and before that I hated Jesus in my heart. And I saw him humiliate the teachers. He loved me. Most gladly, therefore, will I spend and be spent for you, Paul would write. And so he doesn't want any Christian to lose heart or to faint. All of this is for you. 
don't you, don't you uh, be discouraged by what God puts the ministers, the apostles through. It's all for you. It's your glory. It's part of your, the, the, your um, uh, uh, privilege as an heir of God. And he's saying, for this cause, because you're heirs of God. <laughs> Verse 6. You, you Gentiles, you're fellow heirs. You're part of this. Because you're heirs of God, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you. He's going to tell us why. Why is he telling us this? So he can show off? No, so that we might know what we ought to pray for when we pray for ourselves. We ought to spend most of our time praying for others. But when we do pray for ourselves, this is what kind of thing we should be praying for. We won't spend long on verse 14. We'll mention this. Uh, Paul's praying for something specific for them. So he has a reason. He knows what he's praying for. It's more than bless them in every way. Who he's praying to? He's praying to the Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, the Lord told us to. I remember as a young man reading this caution from a Christian writer, and I share it with us this morning. Pray to your Father in heaven, not the God in your room. You pray to the God in your room, you may well get answered by the God in your room, and it's not the Father in heaven. <laughs> a lot of Eastern mysticism and other things, you, you, you get involved in your own imagination, your own spirit and counterfeit spirits. Look, we, we understand that there's the omniscient God, and, and uh, he's everywhere. The Lord Jesus knew that, and yet the Lord Jesus lifted up his eyes. And he taught us to pray to our Father in heaven. And the, the Christian should pray with an outward gaze and an upward gaze. Outward, you're not in yourself. And upward is a place of humility. He said, I bow my knees. Paul play, prayed with reverence. Kneeling is a posture of reverence. You know, we shouldn't be less like, you know, let's pray. I've seen it. Because we don't want to be religious. Well, that may be, but we should be reverential. I bow my knees. Pray to Father in heaven. I'm not saying, I mean, some of us with bad backs or, or creaky knees or whatever. But our physical posture should be reverential. And our inward posture should be reverential when we pray. And when we read our Bibles as well. Try the Jews, you know, they... They got back, they read, they stand to read the word of God, the, the, the devout ones, ultra-Orthodox. I believe that is the case. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, but I uh, had to um, give a bit of instruction to my boys, you know, how, how we would sit as youth, uh, particularly boys, ladies, uh, young ladies seem to have it better, you know, they know how to sit properly and compose themselves, but boys are sprawled and Half horizontal and all sorts of things. That's not how to read your Bible, boys. You get yourself into a reverential and an awake position um, as you read the Scriptures. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is, uh, is named. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 to 11 in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. <clears throat> this whole, it's all in Christ. The whole church, through, the, through time, through history, through geography, through space. It's one, one church, one body. <clears throat> all one in Christ. And this is what he's praying He's praying because you're an heir. He's praying that God the Father would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inward man. Now, that's a mouthful. He's asking God to, to grant you to be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. That's, that's a phrase Paul uses elsewhere. Riches of his glory. That word glory is a hard word to really nail down precisely, I find. <laughs> and because it has a meaning that is a bit nebulous. You can look that one up. That one's for free. 
nebulous. I think it just means not easily defined. It's not quite vague, but uh, glory, resplendent light. But it also has to do with that which is praiseworthy. Visual glory would be dazzling brilliance. But uh, someone's glory is those attributes which make them worthy of praise and honor. According to the riches of his glory. God doesn't just have glory. He's rich in it. He's worthy of all manner of praise. And this that he, I'm asking him to do for you lines up with that. It's in accordance with the fact that God is so rich in being praiseworthy. And he's rich in dazzling majesty and power. Desire that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, have you ever thought about that? Paul wants those Christians to be strengthened with might so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Now, to whom is he writing? He's writing to saved people. In, uh, in chapter 1... Verses 13 to 14, he says, ye, verse 13 at the end, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And elsewhere, he says um, in the same epistle, sealed until the day of redemption. Paul's writing to people who have the Holy Spirit. At the end of chapter 2, he says, you are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit as a church. Again, the Lord Jesus, at the uh, end of his um, instructions to John, writing to the seven churches in Asia, in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now that's uh, somewhat different, but there is a parallel, or there is a, a link there. He's writing to save people again. This is not an evangelism verse in Revelation. Although it's maybe calling backsliders home. Paul is writing here in Ephesians to Christians who were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them, I'm praying that you might be strengthened in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. What is he talking about? And he goes on, that ye, <clears throat> being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brethren, I believe it's simply this. Paul is praying that these Christians may become strong so that Christ fills them continuously. Isn't it so, brethren, that Christians commonly find themselves at this moment in the spirit, in the glory, and at this moment in the flesh? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that, it's a common, it ought not to be, but it is a common Christian experience. And Paul is praying that you would become strong in the inward man so that your continual state is to be filled with Christ. It's not that the Spirit of God comes and goes. You're sealed until the day of redemption. But it's that in your day-to-day -day experience, in real time, all the time, you are permanently filled with Christ. And there's a strength in the inward man that makes that necessary. Rather, let me rephrase that to express properly what I'm meaning. The inward man, it's necessary for the inward man to be strengthened so that that is possible. 
One Christian writer, again, I'm referring back now to my youth and, and early days of Christian, over 35 years ago reading these things. He said the Christian walking by faith, the moment he goes in the flesh, it's like a stone sinking. <laughs> moment he ceases to abide and walk with Christ in the spirit, it's like, boom, you're on your own again. And all of that power that um, where you effortlessly love those that hate you, it's like you're struggling. It's like, you, you know, you're back to just trying to be a Christian on your own again. Do we all know the difference between um, uh, the life of Christ naturally filling your soul and struggling to do what you really can't? You know what I'm talking about? And it's that former state where it's not I but Christ that Paul's praying that you'd be strengthened in the inward man. So that's you all the time. Not I but Christ. You're not trying to be a Christian. You can't give it up. But that you're continually abiding in real time. He's praying that you'd be strengthened with might in the inward man. Inward man. <laughs> Um, we could look, uh, I think, at the um, Colossian letter. He, he puts it this way in chapter 1, I think, in verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Here it is. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. You're not struggling to be patient. Not struggling to be joyful. Filled with Christ. This is why Paul could take a beating and then sing praises at midnight. Isn't it so as human beings that our emotions can naturally be moved with outward circumstances? I almost made a really politically incorrect comment, but I won't. Maybe I'll share it after um, doing fellowship meal or something, but don't need to divert ourselves with those things. Emotions, right? So... You know, got good news, woohoo, you know, you're happy, whatever it is. If you've been, um, if you've been praying for, for work, you know, self-employed or, or unemployed, and you finally get work and it's going to mean you can do that, that can just, you think about, you know, try and analyze what's going on. That news, and you're not happy, and it, it creates an energy and an exuberance. You can be praising the Lord. There's a whole chain reaction that goes on. But it can work the other way. Something very discouraging you're told about. And it can make you droop. People under in great uh, trouble often. Even, their commitment to Christ can, can hang in the balance. And certainly they just don't feel like. Okay I'm not going to turn away from. But I just don't feel like being a Christian today. If you know what I mean. I'm not going to really pray or read my Bible. Or, or praise the Lord. I'm just going to kind of mope inwardly. Although I wouldn't. Say that. These are the kinds of emotions uh, <clears throat> that people get into based on what's going on in the outside. And Paul's saying, I want you to be strong inwardly so that you have a fountain of the life of Christ coming out of you all the time, no matter what's going on on the outside. The prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on your pronunciation, Though, you know, and he lists everything going wrong, the vine, the, clock, the fl flocks, everything. All my labor has gone to ruin, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's the kind of thing. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And Paul is praying that these Christians would be strong in the inward man. That Christ dwell in their hearts by faith. It wouldn't be up and down, in and out, but always this fountain and rivers of living water. Flowing, not <clears throat> white knuckling. Gone from a toddler that, you know, standing and, you know, and then bunk down they go. The little legs are not very strong. Or a little child, you know, that can walk fairly good now, although they tumble many times a day. They can walk, but you can't go on a long walk. Daddy, I'm tired. Carry me. You know, praying that you'll be strong. Strengthen. Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not faint. Filled with Christ. <clears throat> In Luke uh, chapter 1 at the end, I think it's verse 80, uh, concerning John the Baptist, the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. 
Stephen, the martyr, in chapter 7 of Acts, it says that um, they were not able to resist the spirit by which he spake. And Paul wants us to be strong in the inward man. He wrote, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And he's writing to those Ephesians, telling this is what I'm praying for you. Nudge, nudge, hint, hint. When you pray for yourself, this is what you ought to be praying. Not, Lord, help me to love that person or give me more patience. It's Christ you need. Christ, all the riches are in Christ. And you and I don't need more of a dollop of this and more of a dollop of that. We need that it might be not I, but Christ. All the time. That's how to pray. That's what, when you pray for yourself, that's what you're praying. Lord, not I, but Christ. That's the thing. He's instructing us by telling us how he's praying for us. There. <clears throat> Strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The inner man, there's the inner man, there's the outer man, and there's the man in the middle. <laughs> right? Man in the middle. As long as it's not a monkey in the middle. <clears throat> this is human psychology. You have your body... That's your outward man. Your spirit, that's the inward man. And your soul, that's your conscious man. That's where they both meet. Spirit and body. You see how it works, right? So uh, uh, a merry heart or rejoice in spirit. And so the conscious soul is giving praise to God. And it's expressed through your body. Whether smile or voice. And if we're not careful, things that happen to us from the outside, if we let them poison our souls, can corrupt our spirits. It can work in both directions. You will want a strong fountain of life flowing out, flushing out all, everything else. And it's just life coming out. And the Holy Ghost. And that was Paul praying. And it, the, language, the language is put this way. That you may be able to comprehend... With all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height? That should send our, our minds back into, into Genesis, right? Genesis chapter uh, 13, I think. This is uh, Abraham and Lot. Um, God is blessing Abraham and his herds are growing and his servants are growing and Lot the same, his family member. And now there's so much that they're getting squabbles between the herdsmen and Abraham says, let there be no, no strife between us. Blessed are the meek. God had called Abraham, said, get thee out to a land that I will show thee of. So Abraham knew the land was supposed to be his, and he could have been like, okay, this is supposed to be mine, so look after him. And Lot, you can have that. But Abraham trusted God. And he just, the land's before you. You have whatever you want. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. See? And he did. <clears throat> you can find all of the Sermon on the Mount in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Lot lift up his eyes and picked what he thought was the best land. He paid a price for it. And when Lot had been done, verse 14, the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. He makes promise concerning the seed. Verse 17, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And here in writing to the Ephesians, Paul is making an allusion, uh, and he will pick it up again in chapter 6, to the land of Canaan, the spiritual life. What did Paul say about the two covenants when he was writing to the Galatians? When he talked about um, Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. He said these things are an allegory. 
They were historical facts. They were in the scripture. And yet he's saying these literal facts that happened in the scripture are a spiritual allegory. And they refer to the two covenants. Sarah and Isaac refer to the heavenly Jerusalem. Hagar and Ishmael refer to the Mosaic covenant. And there is no doubt that the land of Canaan and the possession of the land of Canaan under the military leadership of Joshua is an allegory of the soul life of the believer under the leadership of Christ. There's no question about that. And Paul's praying that you might have strength to possess all of the fullness of Christ in your soul, in all your emotions. Purity. Joy, love. This is what he's saying in this passage. Um, that ye may be able to comprehend. This word comprehend. It's not just understand, but to, to, to take hold of. And indeed to surround. To capture the whole thing. To possess the whole land. The full soul states of Jesus Christ. Praying that you might be strengthened in the inward man to have the same Emotions and heart of Jesus Christ. Filled, this is what he says, filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he's talking about. The soul states of Jesus Christ. That you bless goodwill toward men. That you bless those that persecute you. That you're compassionate towards people. Think about Christ as we read of him in the scriptures. Christ in you. And I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with might in the inward man. That the Christ that you read about in the scriptures will be you. Yeah, that's what he's praying. <laughs> we sing some of those things in our hymns. Some of the theology in the hymns is a bit wobbly. I think, oh dear, oh dear. I, I keep my mouth quiet because I don't want to just be Mr. Corrector all the time, you know. Although it does run in the family. My earliest memory of my dad was him correcting my grammar. I'll tell you about it sometime. A lot of work just to get a no. <laughs> but this is what so many of the hymns are about. Christ only always living in me. That's what he's praying. And brethren, he's marking out the way. It's not just nebulous. Strengthened. Now, strengthening can be in an instant, supernaturally. Well, it's all supernatural, but it can also be gradual. Exercise yourself unto godliness, he'll write to Timothy. You know, we have these cliches, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Well, yeah, do it. Exercise. We, we had a prayer meeting yesterday. Some of the men we were looking at the weights. that uh, You keep them well dusted, brother, uh, <laughs> if not well used. But how it's good for us to work out, well, spiritually, how are we going to get strong if we don't work out? Now there is some that you, um, and praise God it's like this or we'd all just be in trouble. But children, they eat and they do their chores and so on and they exercise. And before our technological society, they'd go and fetch water for their parents, you know, to do the dishes and go to the well. And, and the bigger they get, the, 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 the weight increases. So they're working out, just living and walking and so on would give them exercise and they'd grow and they'd get stronger. And there is that aspect to the Christian life as you go through life and go through trials. And I trust that you and I, as we are confronted with things that are contrary to us, that our response inwardly is, Lord, dwell in me. In every circumstance, in the home, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the church, everything that would be contrary to us is an opportunity for Christ to be manifest and formed in us. And as we exercise ourselves, you know, we're talking about holding your little child up. God doesn't have back pain, praise the Lord. Holds us up to walk with him. Form Christ in us. That whatever, which way we're hit or bumped, it's the love of Christ that comes out. We need this, I mean, we'll, and, and we'll, we'll be looking at, you know, family life. Paul gets to the practical. Parents, we need this with our children. Those uh, occasions where I've been impatient with my children. You know, son, sorry I wasn't patient with you. I want it to be always Christ. There's no room for the flesh. 
anywhere in our lives. Sorry I was so lacking in patience, son. Now that shouldn't be a daily occurrence. But if I've, if I've failed my family, I want to acknowledge it. Don't want to be one of these men that's too proud to admit when they've been wrong. Amen. <clears throat> With our wives, I want it to be Christ. Lord, I don't want to love my wife selfishly. I want to love as Christ. Is that right? <laughs> I don't want to react selfishly. Lord, I want to always treasure this gift you've given to me as Christ has. As Christ does. And he's going to describe in the practical chapters what this that we're to be praying for looks like in real time. Submitting ourselves one to another. Christ is meek, makes the church meek. Nobody's in it for themselves, lusting after power and control, wanting to dominate others. Husbands are loving their wives. Wives are submitting. Children are obedient. This is Christ manifest in domestic life. Servants are faithful in the workplace. Employers and bosses and masters are, are fair and benevolent. This is Christ in the workplace. This is what the fullness of God in all of the variety of human life looks at. And we'll be looking at those things later. See, I'm praying that you may be able to comprehend strong enough to take the whole land. Not just the, you know, some, some of us come from terrible backgrounds, stealing or, or, or drunkenness or what have you. And, you know, we get the victory. That's like, um, that's like Jericho. That came down easily. So many of us, I know there are some Christians that have struggled and it's like they, and I don't know why it's so different for some. But how many testimonies have we heard? Oh, God delivered me from this awful, just like that. You know, when they got saved, come on. We all know that. Heard those testimonies. All right. And that's like the Jericho. They're the easy ones, these big things. But, you know, if you read on this book of Joshua, and the miracles stop. And it, it's an, I think it's in like the middle chapters. It's awful, it's discouraging. And, you, and they didn't drive them out, they didn't drive them out. And the children of Joseph come, they say, give us more land. Joshua says, go. You know, and say, we can't. They've got chariots of iron and they're strong. And Joshua essentially says, don't be a sniveling wimp. Get out there and do it. You're a strong people. Go out, cut down wood. Make yourselves a home in the mountains. And all they had was a sword. And they're going up against people with chariots of iron. This is an uphill battle. Well, how about we go back to Jericho and just walk around it seven times singing glory, hallelujah, and then they'll drop down dead and we'll be in the glory. No, now you're going to have to walk by faith. Now you're going to go into a situation where you get no glory feelings and all you have is certainty in the word of God, knowing that God has promised and God cannot lie. And you're going to have to exert yourself. And it's still a miracle. And Christ to be formed in you so that you will love those that don't love you. Those that you find unlovable. You'll be patient in the most trying of circumstances. As you lay hold on the promises of God. Christ in you. Baptized into his death. Raised to walk in newness of life. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead in actual fact unto sin. And alive unto God. That's your sword. And this circumstance that's confronting you with all of these unchristlike feelings and emotions, that's your enemy with its chariots of iron. And you, by the Spirit of God and faith in His finished work, prevail as you're strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inward man. And Christ is formed in you. This is where so many faint. And they're content to just have a testimony. God live me from this and that. And I'm still not perfect. And, and they, they don't go any further. And they repeatedly um, struggle and fail with the same things for decades. And Paul's saying, I'm praying that it won't be so like with you. That you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. We could have a Bapticostal glory shouting session. 
Unless you doubt that this is possible, we've gone a little over time. Lest you stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. And notice what he's telling us, right? Comprehend with all saints the length and breadth and depth and height to know the love of Christ. Say you're rooted and grounded in love. The whole land is love. This is the, this is the Christian life. To love one another as I've loved you. To love God and man as Jesus did. That's it. It's glorious. <laughs> And lest you stagger at that, now unto him, this is God, the one to whom I'm praying, he says, for you. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's the Holy Ghost. Applying the death. Death is the most powerful negative force in the universe. And resurrection, the most powerful positive force. The power that worketh in us, the death and resurrection of Christ. The death of the old man, the raised to walk in newness of life. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, not just barely. Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us now. The word is nigh thee, in thy heart and in thy mouth. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This church, age will never end. This is it, the last one, the church. The only step is for it to migrate into heaven. The church age won't end. The Mosaic age ended. The church age won't. And so there, this, this is where Paul leaves us in this passage. And in chapter 4, we'll have another therefore. But he points us to this, brethren. When we pursue God, this is what we're pursuing for our own selves. Is that Christ be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Amen. Let's pray.